so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. This week's Parsha, Parsha Spiyitze, tells us a story about Yaakov going down to Haran to his uncle, Lavan. He's running away from his brother, Esav, who wants to kill him. And when he gets there, he meets for the first time Rachel, the daughter of Lavan. Um, right away, he it says that he kisses her, and then he begins to cry. He then starts asking Rachel about who she is, and she brings him home with her. Um, and then the Torah describes to us the two uh, daughters of Lavan, Rachel and Leah. It says, Lavan Lavan had two daughters, Shem Hagadayla Leah, the name of the older one, right? The bigger one literally was Leah, but Shem Hakatana, and the name of the smaller one, the younger one, was Rachel. Okay, and then it says, Aini Leah Rakais, for Rachel Haisiyafas Tarab, Yifas Mara, describes Leah and Rachel. And then it tells us, Yehev Yaakovis Rachel, Yaakov loved Rachel. And then we see this theme repeated later on where Rachel is always the more loved wife and Leah is always the hated one. Um, and we're going to be just exploring a little bit what's a, what the significance of that is, right? What's the significance of these two daughters of Lavan? What do each of them represent? And why is Yaakov more attracted to Rachel? Another interesting thing, thing that we see a uh, theme in this Parsha is um, Rachel being barren, right? That she has a lot of difficulty having children. And Leah is, has an easy time having children, right? She has many, many sons. Um, and we're going to see how the fact that Rachel has a difficulty with, with bearing children while Leah does not is also um, an outcome, an expression of who they are and what sort of character each of them represent um, and how that plays out in terms of Yaakov being able to fulfill his mission through um, Rachel and Leah. Um, so in this mimer and in answering our questions about Rachel and Leah, trying to understand the story, um, we unveil a tension that exists in, in Judaism in general. I think a lot of people will associate Judaism with learning, with intellectualism, with um, big ideas and, and education, so, such an emphasis on education. That's what people will think about, even non-Jews, when you think about Jewish people. Um, We've always emphasized that, you know, having, having the space for, for learning and growing um, in, as spiritual beings. Um, but on the other side, something else that is demanded from us as Jews is actually that Judaism is an extremely action-oriented religion that you do have to do. Like, there's a million things to actually do in a day. Um, the actual action of doing mitzvahs. And, and then more than that, if you take it into sort of a, a Hasidic level where we talk about where we talk about transforming the world and dealing with the world, entering into the darkness and changing it over. And the Rebbe took it even further where like, you know, it's all about getting someone to just put on a pair of tefillin, which is so removed from in that moment is, is the person learning even though it's fill-in is and, and people will object to that. They'll say, what's the point of him putting on fill-in if he has no idea what he's doing? Or what's the point of lighting Shabbos candles if I have no understanding of Shabbos candles? But there is this emphasis on actually on just do. So these two sides can be conflicting and, and we can be pulled in, in two directions. It can seem hard, hard to like encompass everything. 
And then also I think we're, um, you know, there are people with a natural tendency to be more spiritually inclined, to be more intellectually inclined. And so they'll be naturally drawn to those sides of Judaism. And then there are people who maybe are a little bit more simple, who, who don't need to overthink things as much. And they're happy to just be a religious person in action. And that's what makes them feel connected to God actually doing something for God. Um, and part of our jobs is to nurture the opposite side of us. So if I'm, if I want to just lose myself in learning or lose myself in davening, then I need to like force myself or remind myself, no, I also have to do, I need to come down. I need to, I need to, to reach other people. I need to share. I need to express. I need to get things done. And then if my natural inclination is to be in the world of action, then I need to nurture the side of myself where yes, spirituality is important, where knowledge is important. Knowledge is what fuels my action. So how we, uh, how we, um, deal with this tension and achieve a sort of balance in, in these two different sides of Yiddishkeit, that's the idea that we're going to explore through these two sisters, Leah and Rachel. So in this mimer, we're going to discuss the source of the personalities of Leah and Rachel. The story, especially like from a modern lens, has a tragicness to it. If we think about it, like the rivalry, Leah feels hated, Ruchels loses her love. It's just, and then she doesn't have children. It's, it just seems very, it seems kind of tragic uh, and difficult for us to understand. Um, today, we're going to go a little deeper and see a little bit, understand a little bit why the story had to happen the way that it happened. And it sheds some light on that and also just gives us some fundamental ideas, really, really within Judaism, addressing the question that comes up over and over again, which is, is Torah learning more important? Is being in the world of intellect more important? Or is it about the action? Is it about um, getting things done? And we see that in general, there's usually very often a split in personalities in different people. There are the people who live more in a abstract world, who like to think, and they have a harder time bringing those things into the world of reality. And then there are people who are great at getting things done, but often they don't necessarily take the time to go into the abstraction. So that's often, it, it often plays out that way, that a person is stronger in one or the other. Um, and we're going to explore what that, where, where does that come from in the, it, Kabbalistically, in the roots of our souls. So it, um, the memory starts off, Levin had two daughters, Leah and Rachel, right? And actually the continuation of the Pasuk refers to them as Hagadela and Hakatana. And we're going to come back to that idea later. So hold on to that. Um, Leah and Rachel, what do they represent? Leah represents ICS Hamachshava, the letters of intellect. The ICS Hadibor and Rachel represents the letters of speech. Feminine energy is connected to the idea of words. In general, feminine energy is connected to the idea of expression. But we have different stages of our expression. There's the expression as it happens in our minds. We have to express to ourselves. We have a whole um, library in our heads of ideas, of thoughts, of circumstances that happen to us and everything we take in. And we don't even know what's in there. We have no clue what's in there. And so what is the process of machshava? What does it mean, the letters of machshava? The letters of machshava is when I pull something out of my library and I bring it into the forefront of my consciousness. So I pull something from my subconsciousness into my consciousness. 
that's actually one of the biggest skills that we um, have to nurture when we're learning how to learn is knowing how to trigger the synapses that they, that they access from my subconscious into my consciousness, um, the process of conscious memory. Um, and so that, those are the OCS HaMachshava, the letters of, of thought. And that's Leah. And Rachel is the ICI's Hadibor, the letters of speech. And before we continue in the mimer, I just wanted to bring in a point from another mimer because it's important and I think it will help us understand this one better. So in another point, uh, in another place in Terror, or actually in Hanukkah time, the um, Alter Rebbe discusses how Leah is called, the, the sisters are referred to as Hagadela and Hakatana, the older one and the younger one. And he says, you can break up those words into hey Gedela and hey Katana, the big hey and the small hey. And we've been seeing this theme a lot in Terror, where we're finding the roots of the people within Hashem's name because the whole world is rooted. Hashem's name is what he uses to express, to create the world. So the whole world is rooted in the Yod Kevavke and Hashem's name. That's where all revelation comes from. So we keep finding, we put Avram into the Yod, and right, we're, we keep finding people in Hashem's name. In this case, Leah is Hegedela, and Rachel is Hegedana. So the Hegedela, the first He is Bina. It's the world of machshava, it's the world of, of thought, but it's thought again as it's more in, an, in its expressed state, not in its primal state. It's an idea as it's already been being analyzed, being thought through, the, the whole thinking process, like thinking as an activity. That's what Bina is. Versus um, just like the spark of the idea. And then Rachel is Heikatana, which is the second He, which is Malchus, which is expression to the world, right? We have the, the, the last hay is also connected to the five, the five mitzahs hapeh, the five um, movements of the mouth, where there's like five basic primal mo movements in the Hebrew language. In other languages, they may be different um, sounds that you make. So in the Hebrew language, there's like the ones that you make with your lips, the m sounds, the, the throat sounds, the palate sounds. And there's like the hard lip sound, the soft lip sound. I'm not sure of all of them, honestly. <laughs> but there's basically five basic movements that you make that produce all the sounds. And those five are connected to that last hey, the power of speech is connected with the five. So Rachel is hey Gedela, the Bina, the, the process of thought. And Leah, I mean, excuse me, Leah is hey Gedela. She's the older one. She's Bina. She's a process of thought. Rachel is hey Gedela. She's Malchus. She's the power of expression. And we're going to see how the whole story that happens to them really revolves around these points of who they are. Um, so we'll continue inside. Before we go into this, their story, we're actually going to jump ahead to the time of the Beis Hamikdash. The Beis Hamikdash stood in Rachel's territory. Binyamin, her son, that's where the Beis Hamikdash was. And so Rachel is really connected to the concept of the Jewish people while they're in the Beis HaMikdash. And Leah, as we're going to see, is connected to the Jewish people once they leave the Beis HaMikdash when we're in Gullus. So we'll look at it inside and we'll expand. Um, so um, stepping back a minute, I think I jumped a drop ahead of, ahead of myself, <laughs> but... Um, 
ICSM Akshav Vaisyasadibar, the letters of speech, uh, the letters of thought versus the letter of speech. Shahim So before we get to the Baisa Migdash, we can say that the world of thought is an internal world. So it's a hidden world. When you look at me, unless there are people who have very expressive faces, you can see whatever they're thinking. But most of the times you look at someone and you don't know what they're thinking. The world of, of thought is hidden. It's underneath the surface versus the world of speech is the Amadis Galia. It's the revealed world because the whole purpose of speech is to share with somebody else. If no one else is around, you don't need to talk. You can just keep it in your brain. The purpose of speech is sharing. And this is the concept of in the land of the living. And he's going to explain that there's this concept of it talks about the land of the living. And he's going to emphasize the bih. The Bez Artes Hachayim, Bez Artes. There are two different states which Eretz Yisrael can be in. Bez Artes. There are two different states of Eretz Yisrael. There's Eretz Yisrael, Shabizman, Shabes Hamigdash Hayakayim, Hayushnei, Habechinais Meir, Eretz Yisrael. When the Bez Hamigdash stood, there were two elements in Eretz Yisrael. But the stronger force during the time of the Bez Hamigdash, as we mentioned earlier, Rachel is the mother of Binyamin, and Binyamin is the territory of the Beis HaMikdash. Um, and also Rachel is referred to as a Karas Habayis. You can say the keeper of the house, and in this case, the house meaning the Beis HaMikdash. Um, During the time of the Beis HaMikdash, the speech is not in its withdrawn state, but it goes down into the world of Dibor, and it's clothed within Dibor, and you're able to express the thoughts. The thoughts are able to come out. Um, but everything, it's a world of revelation. And during the time of the Beis HaMikdash, there's Nivua, there's the Urim Vetumim. You can go there. Things are very clear. Things are very obvious. There's, um, we're not living in a world of thought. We're living in a world of revelation. Not internalness, but externalness. Um, and it's actually an interesting thing is that if you think about this, there's maybe a little bit of controversy surrounding this topic, but um, historically, we, we like to think, okay, Judaism is exactly the same. Like that's the whole point of how we hold on to our tradition is that, you know, it's exactly the same as our great-grandparents and their, their great-grandparents. But there was a massive shift from the world of the Beis HaMikdash to now, to Gullus, to the world of Gullus. There was an actual shift <clears throat> during the time of the Beis HaMikdash Judaism was a lot more about the ritual. And if you read the Nevi'im, there were a lot of people that actually didn't really learn that much Torah. The emphasis was not on learning Torah. The emphasis was on connecting to, going to the Navi. You got advice straight from the Navi. You went to the Beis HaMikdash. It was a whole, it was an experiential Judaism. That was really, the, the focus was on the experience of Judaism, experiencing God's revelation. Then, once the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed, that's when the focus sorts of shifts a little bit. Because we no longer have the revelation, we start to emphasize Torah learning. So the Jews, post-Beis HaMikdash, many people actually have a much stronger grasp of the Torah, knowledge of the Torah. You read the later Nevi'im, and you hear, like, there were people that are actually not educated about things, right? Like, they don't even know, they, they didn't know the halachas. If you think about it, like, there wasn't, there wasn't, anything to learn from in a sense, meaning all you have is Torah Shabbat There was no, like if you walk into a Jewish home, exactly. in that time period, there was only one book on the shelf, was Tanakh, there was nothing else. So like, 
you know, in the sense this visual we have of there being like just, you know, thousands upon thousands of just like sfarim that you could study from of Torah, like that just didn't exist um, back then. Exactly. That visual, I think, really um, cements it. What is our mind, in our mind, what is the how, what is a Jewish home? And what makes a home like extra Jewish is you walk in and you see huge bookshelves, right? And during the time of the Jewish that, that didn't exist. Right, right. I mean, printing obviously has helped, has helped with that as well. But, but the, but just like that general concept of, of a home that's full of books that there's a mil, there's a million sources to look at. There's the whole there's a whole debate back and forth. That whole that whole process of debate that only begins with the Gemara, right? Right. I mean, the Mishnah Gemara, right? The whole that whole process of, of like, really debating things through. If you're if you have a Navi, people the the, the Rav was the Navi. Right. During the time of the Beis Hamikdash, that was one of the roles of the Navi was he would also, you know, be there as a as a spiritual leader, as a as a halacha guidance. And so there's no debate because the Navi is speaking to Hashem. Right. It's a different it's a it's a different Your level of, of existence. And absolutely. So the the process during the time of the first Beis Hamikdash was this very revealed process, and therefore people weren't living in the world of machshava so much, and that wasn't emphasized so much. And then there was this real, like almost like paradigm shift because right now, again, what do some people associate Jews with is with knowledge and ideas and education. These are all like such big emphasis of Judaism right now. So, um, to read a little bit about this inside, um, it says, there was the resting of the Shekhinah, the Kaddish HaKadashim, in the Kaddish HaKadashim, the Urim V'tumim. And they were able to consult with the Urim V'tumim, the Avedas HaKarbanais, and they were able to have Karbanais. Again, that emphasis on the ritual, on the action. And they saw the fire come down and consume their Karban. You see that my prayer is being, you see that my prayer is being connected, is being accepted. There's like this very obvious and revealed visual of our connection with Hashem. Masha'in came, but this was not the case. After the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, that the Jewish people went into Galus. They went into exile, and the Shechina was exiled as well. Shechina, meaning revelation of Hashem. Shechina is that feminine part of Hashem, which is all about revelation, it also went into Gullus. So revelation is in Gullus. So we no longer live in this world of revelation. And when I dive in, I don't have a fire come down and consume my prayer. So I don't know, I don't know that someone's listening to me. And I can't just consult the Urim Batumim to see if I'm, if I'm doing the right thing or not. So I don't have this access to clear clarity and revelation. Um, and again, speech is that clarity. When you can actually speak something out, first of all, it gives you your own clarity once you're able to bring it into the world of speech. But also, I think we all know, like in relationships, it can be damaging when one person is just in their head and not sharing. Because I don't know how to, to give to you and to get from you when you're just in, in a world of machshava. It needs to come down into Dibor for us to be able to work together. Right. And so like during the basic English, English, we had that. It was much more obvious that it was a two- it was a two-sided relationship a lot more during the Pesach yeah. Mikdash. Right now, Judaism sometimes feels a little one-sided. Right. Open, I think open that's a that people have. Like, between us and Hashem, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So basically, we said, the Shekhinah went into Galas. 
that that's the whole concept that Rachel is is the one who like guides the people into into Gala. She's on the side of the road, but she she too is going into Gallus with us. This this element of the Shechina, the open revelation, it also goes into Gallus. Um, and we no longer have that same level of revelation that we had during the time of the Beis HaMikdash. Um, so now, and now we have to just sift again, like we spoke in other classes, we need to, our, our job is now to sift through the darkness and try to find the, the little bits of light and the little bits of revelation and, and go through all that, go through the work on, on a much darker scale. But nevertheless, even though it seems so dark and it seems that we're disadvantaged at this point, specifically in Eretz Yisrael, he says, and obviously we all being connected to Eretz Yisrael and we can, as the Tzamech says, you can make where you are Eretz Yisrael. So when you're in a state of being connected to Eretz Yisrael, you're in, you're in a state where you're living in a godlier space, there actually remains still an advantage that comes out specifically during Gullus, that comes out specifically when the when the revelation goes into exile. What is that? The he bechinas Leia. Leia has her strength. Leia expresses, is able to express herself stronger when Rachel is quiet, when Rachel is in exile, that's when we're able to emphasize Leia. Rachel is the more exciting sister. Yaakov sees her first. He wants to marry her. She's the, she has a certain attractiveness to her. And so we don't get to experience the advantage of Leia's attractiveness unless Rachel's sort of not really in the picture as much. So and in truth, Leah actually comes from a higher source. What did we call her? We called her Hagadela, the old the Hey Gadela, the higher Hey. So that means she's even she's sourced in a higher place than Rachel. Than Why? Because she's compared to the Machshava, the thought, which is higher and more spiritual than speech. We know that thought is, uh, is, is, is step number one before speech. We can't, unless you think something through, you can't actually express it in speech. And also in general, we're able to, there are certain like abstract, more refined concepts that even though I can't speak them out, my thought can grasp them. My brain can grasp it. What's going on in my brain is a lot more sophisticated, a lot more um, refined than what happens in my speech. Um, and also in general, as we discussed in Lech Lecha and a number of other places, once something comes out into the world of speech, it's very easy to manipulate it. So one of the best, um, tools that you can use, like to, to fight against someone is to take their words and twist them. Oh, but you said, if you're arguing with someone and you want to win the argument, you can say, oh, but you said blah, blah, blah. And then you can twist the way that they said something. Once things come out into speech, they could be manipulated. In thoughts, no one can manipulate my thoughts because they don't have access to them. Outside forces can't manipulate thoughts, but outside forces can manipulate my speech. So I know it's, it's actually interesting. I could say relevant current events, like people are scared of AI where they can take it could take like pictures of you and you could just like completely manipulate it 
into something else. It's like, I think it's a good example of like where an outside force is coming. It's taking something and it is manipulating it into something that it totally isn't. But outside forces, AI can only get what you upload to the internet, right? So if you don't upload something, it doesn't have access to it. If it's still internal before it becomes expressed and is outward, it cannot access it and it can't um, steal its energy, so to speak. So Leia has this advantage where Mahshava is not able to be, you're not able to, it's not able to be as easily manipulated. Negative forces can't use the power of Leia in the way that they could use the power of Rahul. So that's the other advantage of Leia. And um, it, it says, Shahi Alma de Skasya, because Leia is Alma de Skasya. The helm and concealed. So the revelation is not the same as it was when the Beis Hamikdash was there, because, like we said, the whole point is that it's the hidden world, not the revealed world. However, the big great tzaddikim that are in Eretz Yisrael, yachaylem l'hasig achshav, be'eretz Yisrael, hasagis al-yenes yaser afilu mima, she'asigut tzaddikim k'maisam b'zman abayas. This is like wild that the Altarab is saying this. I think he's referring to, he's talking about the tzaddikim in Eretz Yisrael, specifically referring to the Arizal. That the Arizal was able to grasp things in his mind that during the base of English people couldn't have grasped. The Kabbalistic knowledge of Hashem, like the understanding of Hashem that the Arizal had, other people during the time of the base of English, they couldn't have done it. Because you're being forced out of the revealed world and you're being forced to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the hidden world. And it's taking you somewhere that that is we know that what's inside of us is deeper than what's outside of us. So by being forced to go internal, um, we're able to reach even deeper points during Galas than we would when we have the revelation. Um, so basically, like there's there's this advantage to to Leia's soul where where we um, reach into this into this deeper place. And this is an interesting side point also from that other mimer that I referred to earlier, where he talks about what do we see? The, we see the difference in their children. What are Rachel's children? Well, specifically we have Yasef because Rachel um, Benjamin is very young in the story. We don't really see so much how he grows up, but Yasef is a, is a leader. He's in a very like expressive role where he's constantly communicating with the people but does the leader have the time to like sit and meditate on godliness? Not so much versus what are Leah's sons? Leah's sons are shepherds. Shepherding is like the perfect job for somebody who wants to be able to spend some time in their mind because you're just like <laughs> watching the sheep and you're out in nature. This is why we see that like a lot of our, our forefathers were shepherds because they they're nurturing that side of the of your of the internal world is very easily nurtured in a, in a in a job where there's so little that you have to do expressively, right? So there's the space for them to really be in the world of Mahshaba, which is their source. Of, That's so interesting. Of sons. That's why they're the shepherds versus he's the king. I, I was just thinking, like, there's a few mamarim later on in Barishas, like like um like think like Vigash um that talk about like the difference between Yehuda and Yasef, like they're two different Avidas. And I, th I feel, almost feel like this mimer, I never thought of this before, but this mimer is almost like setting the stage for those concepts we're going to discuss later on about what Yehuda represents, what Yasef represents, and sort of where that originates. Right, Yehuda versus Yasef is a very big... Rahalaya. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
And now we're gonna get to like the juicier part of the story over here. Now we're gonna understand why does it say, this is something that's so hard for us to comprehend, that he, that, that Yaakov sort of, Leah was hated to him. And he loved Rachel and he wanted Rachel and he didn't want Leah. So why is Yaakov being attracted to Rachel over Leah? Why is he wanting Rachel over Leah? And so we're going to see that it's not a physical reality, but rather a spiritual understanding of what his mission is and recognizing which of these sisters is really going to be his soulmate to complete his mission. Which of these sisters enables him to actualize what he's trying to do? So let's read a little bit what he says. Of course Yaakov recognized. Of course he knew the greatness of the hidden world. Of course he knew all the amazing secrets and awesomeness of God that you can access in the hidden world. But what is Yaakov? What does Yaakov re- represent? Yaakov represents the connection that connects two sides. In general, we have we spoke about Avram being Chesed, Avram being Chachma versus Yitzchak being Gevura. Um, and so there are two extremes. Avram is extreme Chesed, Yitzchak is extreme Gevura. What is Yaakov? Yaakov is Tiferes. Tiferes is the marriage of these two, of Chesed and Gevura coming together. Tiferes is balance. Tiferes is about, um, is about achieving balance, about making connections. That is, that is Tiferes. And so Yaakov's whole role is to connect both sides. Um, so Shahu Hamamshech Ar Ein Saif Baruchu. What does Yaakov do? He draws down the Ar Ein Saif, Men Hakatz Al Yena, from the highest extremes above, Mebchinas Keser Lamata, from Keser. When we say Eleke Avram, Eleke Yitzchak, and then we say Eleke Yaakov and the God of Yaakov, we add the Vav because the Vav is that line that draws from the higher to the lower because that is Yaakov's job is drawing from above to below. He's that funnel. He's the tunnel between the higher worlds and the lower worlds. And his job is connecting the highest place to the lowest place. And that's really the process of refining the world, taking the loftiest ideas, the greatest revelations of godliness, and bringing them out into the world, into the lowest places of the world. Um, and we see another element of Yaakov is his humility. And through his humility, he's also able to connect chesed and gvura. He's able to have the perfect, how do we achieve the perfect balance between giving and boundaries? This is something I think a lot of us struggle with in a lot of times, especially specifically in leadership roles of parenting, of teaching. How do we have a balance of, of giving and sharing and letting everything go, acceptance, and having also boundaries and expectations? So the key to that is Yaakov, who is bittal. When it's not about your own ego, then it's easy to strike balance. When you're thinking about yourself or you're trying to project certain things onto your students, elements of yourself onto your students or onto your children, 
um, or onto other people in general, then it becomes very difficult to know what the balance is, to know that you're being balanced. But when you let go of your own ego, it's easier to achieve balance because it's easier to have clarity of vision of what actually needs to happen. And so Yaakov being Bittal is able to achieve this balance. And that's what he's all about. Yaakov is all about that balance. Um, every hamshacha that he has, everything that he's drawing down is into the lowest of worlds. And that's why we see that Yaakov um, goes to Lavan, right? He goes, he actually goes out and confronts the world. He's the first of the Avis to really go out and confront the world on, on a very, in a very, on a very personal way. Avram has guests in his home, but he doesn't merit, like he doesn't have, in, in the end, Avram needs to send away um, Yishmael. Like he's not able to really confront the world the way that Yaakov, because he's so balanced, he's really able to confront the world. He he encounters Lavan. He's the one who's able to um, reconcile with his brother Esav. Eventually, he goes down to Mitzrayim because he's the one who's really able to go into the lowest places because he has this lack of ego and balance. Um, and what enables this to happen? What enables this um, revelation into the lowest worlds? This happens, this revelation to the lower worlds takes place through Malchus of the revealed world, which is what, who did we say represents Malchus of Amadis Galia? That is Rachel. That's why Yaakov loved Rachel. Mileya, more than Leia. What was all his desire for Rachel? Rachel is the one who's going to enable him to achieve his mission. Through his marriage to Rachel, he's really, it's really cementing his mission of revealing godliness into the lowest worlds of Alma de Escalia. And through this, everyone is able through in the world of Mahshava, not everyone's able to, not everyone is a clee to accept or to receive the highest levels of revelation. But everyone is a clee to be able to hear words. Everyone, once it comes down into words, everyone is able to understand them. When it's still in the words of Mahshava, not everyone's able to understand it. But once he's able to bring it out into the words of Rachel, into the words of real revelation that make it accessible to anyone to be able to reach, to, um, to be able to receive from this. Um, that's why it says that Yaakov kissed Rachel. Um, that, um, that the act of a kiss, as it's explained over here, is that it's the it's the in, in Kabbalah is the connection of spirit and spirit. Breath and breath is representing the spirit. He's connecting his spirit with Rachel's spirit to be able to, um, he has the, um, the Chachmabina Das that he's getting from his fathers, from uh, Avram and Yitzchak, and then he's connecting his spirit to Rachel, and he's then able to bring that high lofty level of intellect all the way down into the world of Malchus of Alma de Scalia, which is what Rachel represents all the way into the lowest places. Another interesting thing over here is it actually explains that this also, again, we're, we're, we're tying in all the elements of their story over here. Um, it explains also, this is partly why Rachel had such a hard time um, conceiving and having a children and having children. Because even though we spoke about how there's this power in speech that anyone can understand, 
it's so much harder to actualize things all the way to speech, right? To have an actualization that comes all the way down into the world of speech means that to have an idea come all the way down into the world of speech, that means you have to really go through it very well and really concentrate on it and really break it down. And it's much tougher for that to happen. That's a much harder process. So she, it's more difficult for Rachel to have children because children would be like the ultimate expression, you can say. And what she's trying to tra- channel is the highest levels from Yaakov. And it needs to take root in her and then she needs to be able to give birth to it, which is a very difficult process. And this explains why she was barren and it was so hard for her to have children until eventually she does have children. But it's very difficult to give birth. Give birth means like the ultimate actualization and Rachel being the ultimate actualization where she's going down to the, where she wants to actualize all the way down into the lowest of worlds versus Leah giving birth to an idea is a lot more simple, which is why she, she's the one who has the children. Right. We have like thousands of thousands of thoughts every single day, right? You just have like millions of thoughts running through your mind. Um, but we, the words that we speak are much fewer and much more deliberate. Um, so I guess you can kind of see that in the fact that like Absolutely. Leah has many children while Rachel only has very few. Exactly. And we even see that in the way that, like, when Leah names her children, all the names that she chooses for her children are very connected to Machshava, where she has Ru'uvein, which is Re'iya, sight, which is a a Machshava kind of idea. Like, what you see is not what you express. It goes internal into your mind. It influences your thoughts. Um, Also, Shimon, which is Shmiya, and then just going along all these different like haita'a um, expressions of, of the world of thought um, because her children are an output of this world of thought. It's very interesting. And it actually, the Mimer also goes into how that results in my Benu. We're not going to go into it right now just because it's um, a lengthy discussion. Um, and now just to finish off. So after we say all this, we see that there's an advantage to Leah. Leah being the power of machshava. But the ultimate, so I think this is how we can break it up. There's an advantage, there's a higher, there, there's certain depths that we can reach only through Leah. But we fulfill the purpose through Rachel. So the, it's important. We have, you know, the, you can have the academics, you can have the scholars. And they need to sit and talk about the ideas and go through the ideas in their minds and debate back and forth. And there's so much space for that. We see there's so much space for that in Judaism, the importance of delving into the world of machshava. But the purpose of delving into the world of machshava is ultimately to come down into the world of Rachel, that our purpose is the world of Rachel. Our purpose isn't machshava. When you think that your purpose is machshava, then you can stay in the world, you can sit and talk about things for hours and hours you can debate them in your mind for hours and hours but then nothing actually happens you can write a whole long thesis but did something happen did something real happen was there change in the world Rachel is the one who actualizes the change so obviously we can go back to the question of which one is greater we see they need to come together because we, we just, I just presented sort of the disadvantage of sitting and thinking about something all day, but then it doesn't actually, you don't actually do anything because you're too busy thinking. 
on the other side, you can be doing, 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 doing. But unless you take some time to fill up the what you're doing with teichen, with truth, with a deep machshava, then your actions might just be silly. And they might not actually be achieving something so great because they're not filled up. And so ultimately we see that Yaakov marries both. He wants to marry Rachel because he sees Rachel as a completion of who he is. But Hashem also gives him Leah because you need Leah and Rachel together. We need to have actions that are motivated by depth. Actions that are motivated by true thoughts, not just baseless, mindless actions. And it talks about over here that um, in the, let's say in the Dar, Dar HaMidbar, what was like one of the issues that um, happened by the Miraglim was that they, Hasidus explains the story of the Miraglim, that they didn't want to go into Eretz Yisrael because they were living in such a spiritual state of being and they were scared to go into Eretz Yisrael where all of a sudden they have to start working the land. Again, going into our world of, of Misa and Hashem tells them that um, they need to go into, into, it's not good to just be in a spiritual bubble. You do need to go into an actual world. Ach um, Ba'emes, um, he says over here, Hayu Betaz Gadol, the people in the generation of the Midbar were, they made a big mistake. The Ayyadeh Dibar Umaisa, Dafka Nimshach Giloy Arinsaif. It's specifically through Dibar and Maisa that we draw down the truth, the revelation of godliness. But yes, there's in a much stronger way, that cannot be compared um, to just thought. Um, and so that's basically the whole, um, this idea. And to finish off, um, Yaakov knew, excuse me, we'll go back again. So it is possible to be completely in the world of thought and, um, be able to achieve things and change the world when you're focusing on Terah and Tefillah. But Yaakov knows that that's very, very difficult to accomplish. It's very difficult to accomplish both being completely submerged in the world of thought and also getting things done. He knew, Yaakov knew that this level is only for B'nai Aliyah, for people who are very high souls, very, um, very big people. Shehain um, Muatim. But that's very few. Only a few people actually have this capability to be involved completely in the world of machshava, but also be able to achieve it. Um, revelation down below. Of al kol Yisrael, but for most people, ikar raiv ha'asaku al yadei dibar ma'isa. For most of us, our emphasis needs to be on the dibar ma'isa. V'lachin haya be'ayal rachel ikar kviyusai. Where was he? Where did he mainly set himself up? Where did he mainly live? Was in the tent of Rachel. Shehu bechinas. Dibor Maisa, which is the level of Dibor or Maisa and Maisa. But nevertheless, of course, we never can just say, oh, but it needs to be Maisa. Um, we also have to always go back and give that caveat. But nevertheless, we also need to have Maisa. Because through the Maisa's where we're really able, what gives us the ability to have the revelation in the most, in the most, um, in, in a way that we actually understand the revelation that we're receiving is 
through having the machshava. So the deeper amaisa are the revelation, but the machshava is what gives us the capacity to understand the revelation. Um, and so that's basically the idea in this mimer, that the point is the rev is the revelation. But you need to make the time and the space to also have the machshava so that you can get the revelation that you're getting, so you can understand the revelation that you're getting. And so if you can say that, I think at this, uh, practically speaking, it ends up being like two parts to this. First of all, identifying where's my strength? Is my strength the machshava or is my ex strength in, in Dibor Misa? And then once you identify your strength, you try to cultivate that other side of you. So if your strength is machshava, then you do what you can to go out of your comfort zone to cultivate your Dibor Misa. And if your strength is Dibor Misa, take some time to fill up your actions, fill up, make sure that you're filling up your words with substance. And I think it also works, as we see over here, it happens with um, relationships that if we actually want to change the world, we need to have both of these sides coming together. So if you know that your strength is in coming up with the ideas, but you're not so good at implementing them, you need to find the people that you can make a connection with who can then implement it for you, right? The people who are better at implementation, the people who are better at getting actually getting something done. And if you're someone who's very good at getting things done, but you don't necessarily have the big ideas, the big understanding about what needs to get done, you need to find the mentor, the people who are stronger in Makhshava, who can then guide you through this process. I think that's like the uh, main point that we learn from this mimer. I think also like the, it ends off the mimer with this, um, certainly it's Ratzay Vashuv, right? Um, which right. is sort of this notion that like, we need to have this, um, this like tension almost in our lives where on the one hand, um, we're pulled right. to the world of abstraction. We're pulled to like, have this experience of spirituality and, and to like this yearning almost to sort of experience, um, yeah, spiritual reality, um, and, and sort of escape the mundane nature of this world. And yet, like at the same time, we need to have this sense of purpose and drive to like sort of pull ourselves away from that and, and express it, you know, really manifest in the world and really like express our purpose right. in the world in a very, in a very real way. And I think that tension is sort of part of embedded in our Absolutely. lives and a, and a part of the way the way we're supposed to function right where we have that tension like constantly within our lives